0: you guys ever uh, find yourselves struggling with negative thoughts and feelings? Uh, Do you ever suffer from self-doubt or feel insecure in your relationships? Do you ever catch yourself dwelling on past hurts or find yourself worrying about the future? Do you ever just get discouraged or, or caught up in negative thinking? Uh, You know, for all the benefits of uh, social media and stuff, there have been a number of studies that that have shown that even though social media can keep us more connected, that a lot of people who spend time on Facebook find themselves getting really discouraged because they see their friends having these great meals and going to really interesting places and their children having all these great achievements and everything and then they kind of look at their own lives and never make the connection that of course people only post the great stuff that's happening in their lives. But they compare their regular lives with uh, these kind of exaggerated um, presentations that people do on social media, and they they just kind of get caught up in in feeling sort of discouraged. Uh, Writing from a, a prison cell to his beloved friends in a community called Philippi, the Apostle Paul had all kinds of reasons why he could have been discouraged. But instead of focusing on his problems, instead of focusing on his problems, what Paul ends up doing is writing something that is, is one of his most positive, uplifting, and encouraging letters. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most positive and encouraging and uplifting books in the Bible. And it was written from prison. What was his secret? And and how can we learn to live with confidence and joy? in the face of our challenges. Well, this week we're, we're continuing this message series that we started at the beginning of the summer called The Texts That Have Touched Us. And we're continuing that series with a verse that was chosen by one of the members of Stonebridge Community Church, Martha Siditsky. Let's listen to Martha as she reads it for us. Hi, I'm
1: Martha Siditsky and my verse is Philippians 4, eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things.
0: Now that particular text Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is taken from from Paul's letter to the Philippians. It was uh, probably written from Rome around 62 AD. As I mentioned, while Paul is in prison awaiting trial. The letter is, interestingly, filled with affection. In Philippians 4.1, quite apart from the affectionate you know, kind of uh, beginning of the letter, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul refers to uh, members of this church as, "...my brothers and my sisters whom I love and long for." He calls them my joy. He calls them my crown. He refers to them as his dear friends. And it shouldn't surprise us that Paul had all of this affection for uh, these friends in Philippi because Paul personally founded the church of Philippi around 57 AD. And the story of how that happened is recorded in Acts chapter 16. And it's really a fascinating story because it wasn't something that Paul actually set out to do. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's planning to preach in Asia. And when when he talks about preaching in Asia, what he's referring to here is Asia Minor. Not like the, the Far East as we think of it today, but Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. He's planning to preach there, but he is, quote, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do that. So Paul and his party set off to another place, Bithynia. But, quote, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here's Paul's plan A, scratch that. Here's Paul's plan B, scratch that. Paul turns his attention then to Troas. And while he's in Troas, he has this vision of a man from Macedonia. And this man from Macedonia in this vision is saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. And so Luke writes in Acts 16.10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Luke, by the way, is saying we got ready to do that. He's one of Paul's traveling companions at this time. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, I I just want to remind you, here's Paul's plan A, doesn't get it. Here's Paul's plan B, God won't allow it. And so Paul ends up doing something else. And you know, a lot of times we kind of get stuck with with our second choice or our third choice or something that we hadn't anticipated at all. Uh, And then we discover these unanticipated blessings in it. This is a defining moment in not just the history of the early church, this is a defining moment in world history because it is here in Acts chapter 16 that the gospel moves from Asia Minor for the first time ever into Europe where it is going to take root and where it will ultimately transform the world because it's from Europe. You'll remember during that period of colonial expansion and stuff that the gospel was carried to the ends of the earth. It wasn't Paul's first choice or even his second choice, but God used it in these amazing ways. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about, about Philippi. The city of Philippi was originally called Crenides. It was named Philippi in 356 BC by Alexander the Great's father. Anybody care to guess what his name was? Philip, Philip. <laughs> right? Exactly, King Philip. See what he did there. Anyway, some centuries later, after you know the, the rise and fall of the, the Greek Empire and then the rise of the Roman Empire, Uh, Philippi was the site of a major military victor by a person who would ultimately come to be known as Caesar Augustus. The same Caesar Augustus we read about in Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. Caesar Augustus declared, uh, after this Roman victory near near Philippi, Augustus declared that Philippi would become a Roman colonia, a Roman colony. It was sort of a Rome away from Rome. It was populated, he basically populated it uh, with retired Roman military personnel and their families. And the reason that it was populated with those folks is so that it could kind of serve as a strategic pro-Roman presence in the province of Macedonia. Uh, It was a Rome away from Rome because instead of speaking speaking Greek, which most people did in Macedonia, people in Philippi spoke Latin. They were ruled by Roman law. And they received special incentives for uh, living in this Roman province of Philippi, including an exemption. This exemption, by the way, in Latin was called an immunitas. Uh, They received an an exemption from having to pay taxes. Sounds like a deal, right? Philippians. um, Let me just say on a personal note, that Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Absolutely love this book, and uh, in large part, I love it because it includes so many memorable passages. You know, passages that are not just worth reading; they are worth committing to memory. Uh, these include a beautiful hymn to Christ in uh, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. Uh, where Paul says, listen folks, have this same mind among yourselves. There, there was some, uh, as we will see, there's a little conflict going on in the church of Philippi. This church that Paul had founded, that he has this incredible affection for. Uh, and there's a little bit of conflict going on inside. And so Paul is saying, have this same mind among yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was equal to God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself himself. And he took on the form of a servant or a slave. That passage is in Philippians. There's an extraordinary uh, kind of autobiographical sketch that the Apostle Paul uh, paints of himself in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 11. Uh, It is in Philippians that the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things uh, through Christ who strengthens me. And there are so many more of these things. So one of the things I would really encourage you to do is take the time this weekend, take the time today, and just read this whole short, it's a very short book. It's only you know four chapters long, but it's really inspiring. And I'd encourage you not only to read it, but to commit uh, a lot of it to memory as, as you're able. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that, that Philippians would be that inspiring of a book. This, that unlifting of, of a book, uplifting of a book, because as I said, Paul writes it while he's in prison. And if most of us were in prison, I can imagine the kind of junk that we would write. You know, this, you know, food's horrible, you know, it's cold and, and damp and all this kind of stuff. Paul is like encouraging people. He's looking at the, you know, at, the, the, at the positives. He's taking advantage of actually having time to sit down and think, to communicate with his friends and so on. Uh, And not only that, you you wouldn't think it would be that that uplifting of a letter because the people to whom he's writing are facing all kinds of challenges. Rather than being taken down by that, you know, Paul has time to sit in the presence of God and reflect, have a godly perspective on Uh, on what's going on in this church. And the challenges, by the way, were really interesting because not only were there challenges from the outside, the church was being persecuted uh, by folks outside of the church, but as I mentioned, there's problems within the church as well. And one of those challenges involved a conflict between two people. Uh, These two people, two women, uh, whom Paul actually, he calls them out by name. And by the way, think about this for a second. How would you like to be written about in the Bible as one of the people that Paul had to call out and just like going to be remembered for the, in the rest of time? But Paul actually calls them out by name. In Philippians 4, uh, verses 2 and 3, he says, I plead, I, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche, be of the same mind in the Lord. He doesn't just stop there, you know, pleading with each one of them as individuals. But he actually, you know, calls on uh, another person within the church to, to kind of bring uh, what they have to bear to, to, to help uh, bring reconciliation about. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Why does he say help these women? They, they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are are in the book of life, these these are people who who had um, sacrificed and who fought the good fight alongside Paul and Clement and others to bring the gospel to Philippi. And and instead of you know kind of fighting the good fight, now they're fighting each other. We we don't know what the cause of this particular quarrel was. We can surmise what it wasn't. Uh, One of the things that that we can assume it wasn't, it it most probably wasn't uh, over some moral issue in either one's life. Because if it had been, Paul would have just said, you know, don't live that way. And it probably was not about some theological effort, uh, error, because when Paul saw a theological error, he would confront it, and he, you know, call people out. Uh, he would have said something about it. It seems then, if it wasn't a moral thing, if it wasn't a theological uh, error, it seems that their falling out was just personal. You know how some people just don't get along. Or somebody says something and the other person takes it the wrong way or, or whatever. And it just kind of, you know, spirals out of control. It, it, it seems it was just one of those deals. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't important. It was obviously important enough, it mattered enough, that Paul felt like he had to take time in this letter that he was writing to address it. And he probably felt that he needed to address it because it was undermining the peace and the unity and the ministry and the mission of the church. You know, sometimes we think that when we have a conflict with, you know, with somebody that it just involves us. Man, there are ripple effects. Because, you know, people can start taking sides and, and, you know, what was just once a... A disagreement between a couple of people can suddenly transform itself into a church split. And Paul just wanted to address this and, and put it to bed before it got out of hand. You know, I, I want you to think about this. Would you agree that, that interpersonal conflict can, can be a pretty common cause of a lot of negative thoughts and feelings? And, and interestingly enough, negative thoughts and feelings can also fuel and contribute to our interpersonal conflicts. And, and let me give you an example of that. You know, if you're, you know, kind of struggling with, um, you know, self doubts, or uh, you know, you grew up with critical parents, or you know, whatever the case. I don't want to get all psychological here, but for you know, whatever reason that you're feeling bad or, or whatever, and somebody says something, and they may not even mean anything by it, but you take it the wrong way. And then suddenly the relationship gets strained. And the other person picks up on that, and maybe they're feeling sort of insecure too, and they go, why do you treat me like that? We used to be friends. And, and where does this come from? It does not come from God. You know, this is the evil one, playing on our insecurities and our fears and all this kind of stuff. You know, exploiting an emotional weakness to take spiritual advantage of of the church of of Jesus Christ. So, one of the ways that that we can begin, I think, to address, one way we can address self-doubt and discouragement and worry and insecurity and negative thinking this takes a little initiative on our, our part, a little bit of courage, but it's so important. It's what Paul's asking of uh, Euodia and Syntyche. One of the ways that we can address negative thinking in our lives is to address the drama in our lives. You ever know people that wherever they go, there's always drama? Um it, yeah, I mean, I mean there, it reminds me a little bit of, um, remember Charles Schultz's uh, Peanuts cartoon from, from back in the day? One of the characters uh, there, in addition to Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and all this, is this kid named Pigpen. And one of the things that's fascinating about Pigpen is wherever he goes, it, it's like it's always stirring up dirt and, you know, there's always kind of this dark cloud around him and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and that's what I'm talking about here. You know, people, it just seems wherever they go, there's drama one of the things that, that the apostle Paul says is, number one, don't create drama for yourself. But more than that, you know, if you find yourself in the midst of some drama, address it. And this is how he writes about it in Romans chapter 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. I have found this fascinating that, that uh, a lot of times people uh, that are either proud or at least come across uh, as proud... Uh, often are motivated by this sense of insecurity. You know, they're not going to give anything because they're so insecure that if they were to give anything, it's like they would lose themselves. This is why Paul says, live in harmony. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. This is what Paul's getting at when he quotes this, uh, the... um, the hymn to Christ that I was referring to in Philippians. Second, have the same mind among yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. You know, count others better than yourselves. It's in the same passage, Romans 16. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone for evil. Evil for evil. Anybody ever heard that verse before? If it's possible, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to live out of, of who we are in Jesus Christ. We're called to, to be Christ-like. This is saying, look, you know, that, that people may not always be kind to you, but that does not give you license to repay evil for evil. does not give you permission or license to, to be mean to them. Insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Euodia and Syntyche um, had once worked together. And this is what makes it so tragic and so sad. They, They had had this partnership with Paul and others, contending in the cause of Christ alongside with Paul. They had fought together. And now they're fighting each other. You know, other people in the church are not your enemy. There's no one here who's your enemy. We have an enemy. That's nobody in here. The enemy wants us to have enemies in here because it will totally compromise the mission of the church. And so Paul is telling people, put Jesus Christ first. Not your egos, not your pride, not your insecurity, not your fear. Put Christ first. Remember who you are in Christ. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And this is so important to Paul that he doesn't just trust it to Euodia and Syntyche to work it out amongst themselves because if they could have, they probably would have. So knowing that they might not be able to do that on their own, he asked a true companion, unidentified, don't know who it was, um, but he asked this true companion of his to help them to out. I think that's important. You know, sometimes we need the help and we need the encouragement and we need the, the assistance and we need the kind of outside objective perspective of a third party for us to work out our differences between people. Uh, that's why you know, sometimes uh, husband and wife you know, they can work on their relationship, but it can, can reach a certain point where you know, they've kind of exhausted the, their own you know, personal, emotional resources to, to deal with the conflict. And that's the point at which it, maybe we need some help here. You get a trusted third party, a, you know, a counselor, who's as invested uh, in your marriage as you are to help you work stuff out. But the point is, Paul is pleading. He is pleading. He repeats this verse, pleading several times. He's pleading with these women to work out their differences. And he's pleading with them for their sake. You know, you're wasting your life in this negative thinking and unnecessarily conflict. I'm pleading with you for your sake. I'm pleading with you for the sake of your church family. I am pleading with you for the sake of the gospel. I, I you know, I just realized as I, I've been sharing this that, that one of the great things about talking about this passage this morning is I'm not aware of any, you know, huge conflicts within the church or you know divisions or conflicts between members of the church or whatever. Um, so I can kind of talk about this without feeling weird like, oh, you know, are they talking to me or whatever, but. But this is the kind of thing that can happen in every church no matter how healthy. So, you know, let this be, you know, stand as as kind of a a cautionary tale for us. I never want to be a part of something like this. Again, Paul's pleading with these women for the sake of themselves for the sake of the church for the sake of the cause of Christ and, and by the way you know just by extension um, he's inviting us to do the same I may not be aware of you know what's going on in your life or whatever but if you're holding a grudge or if you're harboring a hurt if you have an unforgiving spirit Toward a brother or a sister in Christ, this text is telling us today, really, no uncertain terms, to work it out. You know, to let it go, to set, decide, to settle it today. And it's fascinating what Paul says next, or right immediately after you know telling. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche to to have the same mind in Jesus Christ and then to ask for some help to, you know, assist them in in kind of settling their differences. Immediately Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he, he underlines, he says, again, I will say it again, rejoice. Now why is he talking about joy immediately after talking about conflict? I think it's because there is no room for joy in an unforgiving heart. You know, that's the thing about unforgiveness. It will completely fill the vacuum of your heart. There is no room for joy there. And so Paul, say, he gives us practical advice here. Instead, Paul says, let your gentleness, that word gentleness, Uh, Is a really interesting word because it means reasonableness. Instead of being emotional, let your gentleness, your reasonableness, your charitable attitude. And isn't it interesting in you know Paul's way of thinking that the most reasonable thing to do is to be charitable towards other people, to cut other people some slack. You know, if you want to mess up your marriage, don't cut your spouse any slack. You want to mess up your relationship with your your kids? Don't cut them any slack. And Paul says instead, no. Let your gentleness, your reasonableness, this, your charitable attitude be known to all. You know we're saved by grace through faith, and we we receive God's grace um, and. The idea is that so trans- God's grace would so transform us that we'd extend grace to other people. That's how the world gets better. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. When Paul says here that the Lord is near, there, there are two meanings of, at least two meanings of the word near. One means kind of close by, and the other means happening soon. And Paul is using this word near that's translated near here. It means that the Lord could return at any moment. And in saying that, he's saying, look, we do not have time to waste on broken relationships and drama and conflict. Don't waste your precious time caught up in unnecessary drama. Now, in addition to dealing with the drama in our lives, Philippians four, in, in Philippians four, Paul goes on to show us a second way to kind of minimize the negative thinking. And by the way, if if you can deal with broken relationships in your life, I I would probably guess that three quarters of our kind of negative thinking would go away. Maybe more. But he talks about another way that we can can address the negative thinking in our lives, and, and that is by addressing the worry in your life. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Address your If you can address your worry, your anxiety, your fear about the future, That'll bring the peace of God into your mind. It'll get rid, it'll remove so much of, of our negative theory or er, er, thinking. And the peace of God, this is so interesting. Peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses the term will guard your hearts and minds? You know, that, that word, he's speaking to people in Philippi. You remember, it is a, a Roman colony that would have been protected by Roman guards. And Paul is kind of playing on that. He's sort of riffing on it. He's going, you know how all those Roman guards protect your city? When you're able to address the worry in your life, the peace of God enters your life and protects your heart and your mind in exactly the same way. Isn't that a great picture? Now, in, in this text... I hope you catch that Paul is is kind of drawing um, a a contrast, a comparison and a contrast between uh, worry and prayer. Have you ever thought about how worry and prayer are connected? Because they really are. They're very similar in some ways. Because worry, if you think about it, worry is just focused concentration on your problems. What's prayer? Prayer is focused concentration on God, on God's power, God's presence, God's mercy, God's love. Uh, both of them are focused concentration, which means, you know, some people say, oh, I struggle with prayer. Look, if you can worry, you can pray. Take that home. If you can worry, you can pray. See, it's a transferable skill. It's just, what is your focus concentration going to be on? Oh, I'm expert at this, at worry. Cool. Just take that same skill set and apply it to God. Take all that unproductive energy that you waste on worry and put it into prayer. Prayer. You know, when you wake up at three in the morning and think about, you know, what your kids in another city are doing or what your job prospects are about some health problem or what, you wake up at three o'clock in the the morning, rather than having focused concentration on all the possible things that could go wrong, how about some focused concentration on God? I'm going to rest in your grace today, Lord. I'm going to trust my problems to you. And this is why Paul says, in every situation, it doesn't matter, little stuff, big stuff. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Three different kind of terms there. Maybe four, you know. Um, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, request. You know, what's prayer? Prayer is the simplest way to, to think of it. Prayer is just conversation with God. It's conversation with God. What's a petition? That's when you ask something. It's kind of the presenting your requests to God. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Giving Now, why with thanksgiving? You know, one, one of the best things that, that I think uh, we can do in order uh, to, um, to improve our prayer life is spend more time in thanksgiving. Because one of the things that I think we, we so often fail to do is we fail to just stop and look back on our lives And consider all of the ways that God was present. How God was present before we knew who God was. We're little little kids, you know. Times uh, when God was present when we didn't really obey God. Or know God. Or want God to be a part of our lives. All the times when God was present, when we thought we had everything dialed in, but we didn't know what we didn't know. And you just look back on your life. I, I had this experience a number of years ago when I went back um, for something or other. I don't I even remember. I think I, I, I'd been um, invited by a church in Ohio to, to spend a weekend with the elders or something and do you know kind of a workshop with them and stuff like that. And I took the, the opportunity to spend some time with my family, and I was driving, this is after the workshop and stuff, I was driving through my uh, hometown. I was thinking back from the time when I was a little kid, and all the stuff that I got into, and my teenage years, and all the terrible things that could have happened to me because I, you know, wasn't thinking, and all this kind of stuff, and it just struck me, man, God was, God has been so good to me. You know, his mercies are, are truly never, never failing and everything. The reason that we need to stop and think about all the ways that God has been faithful in the past and think the past with thanksgiving is because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the God who was faithful in the past, when we were unaware of God or when we were disobedient or whatever the case was, or our following him was imperfect, God was faithful to us then why would God be any different in the future and that's why with thanksgiving we we present our prayers and petitions and requests to God because we know we can trust him because he's proven that he's trustworthy he's been there for us Now that doesn't mean, of course, that that God will always answer every prayer exactly the way you want to. Jesus, if you need an example, Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane that the cup might be taken from him. When it says, take this cup from me, what's the cup? It's the cup of suffering. But you know what? That cup of suffering was also the cup of salvation. And Jesus prayed, take this cup away from me. I don't want the suffering. It it wasn't taken away. And why wasn't it taken away? Because it it was through his suffering, his death, his crucifixion, that we have salvation. Paul prayed not just once, but multiple times, that the thorn in his flesh would be removed by God. But God didn't remove it. Instead, he used it. He used it to show his power in Paul's weakness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, we have our ideas But God's are so much wiser because he sees everything. He knows we we only see what we would like to have happen, what we would prefer to have happen. God sees what needs to happen for us, for our salvation. Uh, Paul wanted to go to Asia. Paul wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. Holy Spirit said no. Sometimes God says no to our plans. But when God says no to our plans it's because he's saying yes to something even greater for us. As 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 we've already seen in in this series, you know some of the tech, other texts that have, have touched us, his ways are not always our ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts and so on. And as as we have seen, he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And so we pray. We trust God with our worries. I just ask you, what are you worried about today? What keeps you up at night? You know, trust it to God. Leave it to God's care. Address the drama in your life by putting... Christ first, settling your differences with other people. Address the worry in your life by taking all that unproductive energy that you waste on worry and put it instead into prayer. Third and finally, address negativity in your life by focusing on God, on the good things that come from God, by focusing on who you are in Christ. Christ. And this is where we come to Martha's text. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If there's anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that stuff. Think about such things, Paul says. Let's listen as uh, Martha shares her story.
1: Have you ever wondered where a negative outlook on life comes from? Are there people, like the ones we finally call the "eors" of the world, who are just born that way? Or is it the result of our environment or the way we were brought up? I just arrived at adulthood. And even though I wasn't yet a believer, I considered myself mostly a good person. So why did I struggle with such negative thoughts jealousy and comparing myself to others um, along with doubt and fear thrown in. I also used sarcasm and what I thought was funny and witty speech as a form of self-protection. Sure it got a laugh but this was created from probably long ago conflicts with my middle school classmates. So even though I presented myself very nice and squeaky clean to the rest of the world, I knew that inside there was some really negative stuff and I felt that I was living a lie. I became a follower of Jesus when I was in my early twenties and this verse from Philippians became a lifeline to me. My change in attitude as I began to learn who I was in Christ and how God saw me happened over many many years. But knowing this verse helped me to think and live in a new way. I didn't have to be trapped into a cycle of negative thoughts like some of the significant members of my family and other adults had been in my life when I was growing up. Paul's words are a guide to us so that we can get beyond the fears and negative thoughts of our past. But let me comment briefly on what they're not. They're not a cure-all formula, for it's not our power of positive thinking that causes change to happen. Also, there are no Pollyannas in the Bible, so we need to be careful not to make light of the struggles that our brothers and sisters are going through. However, we are invited to think about the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And by doing so, we acknowledge that God is in control. And that no matter what we're going through, whatever happens to us, you know, God has that. So we can look at life that way.
0: I um, really appreciated what what Martha had to say there. Um, and I do wonder, uh, you know, how m- much experiences from the past affect... No matter how old we are, affects you know how we think of ourselves and, and other people and stuff. Even even today, um, you know, as I as I thought about this uh, this chapter Philippians four, um, it made me realize something that I, I really want to share with you today, and it's this: that there is a person in your life with whom you carry on an almost non-stop conversation every single day. And that person has more influence on you than any other person on planet Earth. And if that person is negative, if they are cynical, if they are defeatist or bitter or jealous or angry or fearful or unforgiving... They will take you down. But if they are focused on God, and if they will remind you every day of who you are in Jesus Christ, you will be blessed. Now, who is that person? That person is you. You're carrying a nonstop conversation on with yourself. Every single day. And what you hear from yourself is going to have a greater impact on you than what any other human being on the planet can have. Paul is is clearly concerned with the kinds of conversations that Christians carry on with themselves in the secret sanctuary of our hearts. And this is, is why he says to, to these people whom he loves and whom he's gone through life with, it's why he says to them, Brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is true, and there is such a thing as truth, and truth is truth. And we can know the truth. And the truth can set us free. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right. And there is a right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about that. Don't get caught up in the negativity and in in the untrue idea that there is no truth and the broken idea that there is no right you know if if listening to talk radio or watching the news takes you down or puts you in a dark place guess what god gave you an on and off switch you don't have to. You don't have to put that stuff in your head. You know, spend time with God in prayer. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ who lift you up and who encourage you and who help you and who give you a better experience. Who pray for you? Who love you? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do do that. Focus on God. Focus on who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, when when Paul uses the word, think about such things, you know, whatever is true, whatever is love, when he says think about such things, he's using a a Greek word here, and it's in particular form. It means to dwell on, not just think about every so often, dwell on, to meditate on, to think deeply, Deeply about to fill your mind with, and the verbal form means continuously do this. This this should be a habit. Fill your mind with godly things, with good things. As followers of Jesus Christ, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, I want you to hear this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to take responsibility for our thought life. We have the power to choose what we think about, what we uh, fix our hearts on, what we fill our minds with, what we focus on in life. And Paul is challenging each and every one of us. Choose wisely. And here's why. Because the thoughts that you dwell on today create the future you'll dwell in tomorrow. That's how important it is. The person you are today is a direct result of the thoughts that you had earlier, about life's possibilities, about who God is, about who you are. So Paul says, urges us, like he urges Euodia and Syntyche to work out the relationships by setting their minds on Christ Jesus. He's urging us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything that's excellent or praiseworthy. Think on such things because the thoughts that we dwell on today create the future we'll dwell in tomorrow.